All right, 1 John chapter 2. So we're coming through the, the, this letter together through 1 John together as a church. And the place where we land today is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to go through verse 27. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going here, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, please help us. God, as we open your word, as we read it, God, we believe what you say about it, Lord. God breathed truth. This is your truth, God, off these pages. And God, we say, as we believe that, God, as we walk into that this morning, that you would help us, God, help us to hear from you. God, I believe you can speak with us through your scriptures. So, God, please help us to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word and the ability that you supply. And God, I ask you that you'd help every person here to hear, to hear your word, God. Not as, not as though it's the word of men, but as, it's, as, as it is, God, your word from you, from your mouth. Help us to hear it in such a way that brings you honor and glory. God, help us to obey your word. Help us to feel the warnings that are there. Please help us, Lord. And thank you so much, God, that you so freely give us help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read our passage here from verse 18 to verse 27. Okay, so if you would, you could read it along with me. Starting verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as it is taught you, you will abide in Him. Alright, so this is the place that we land in 1 John as we're coming through this letter today, okay? And I want you to hear some things about this section. This section, in a lot of ways, is a doctrinal test for true and false conversion. 
And in another sense, it's a warning. This is a, a heavy warning for us to, to all Christians, a, a warning about us defending ourselves against uh, doctrinal deception, okay? So let me talk first about this, this doctrinal test, okay? You, you know that as John is writing this letter, he's writing a letter to a group of people. He's writing a letter to a church that has been attacked by false teachers, which he calls here antichrists. So it's been attacked by false teachers. And people are going astray. People are biting on the bait. And they're going astray, going away from God into false doctrine. And it's being shown that they're not true converts. And so this is what's going on in this church. That, that false teachers are coming in and they're leading people astray. And so all throughout this letter, what we see is John, is he's helping us make a distinction between true and false converts all the way throughout this letter. True and false converts. That those who are actually being led astray were never truly converts anyways. And so we're getting this distinction between true and false converts all the way through this letter. So for example, in chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, we see the obedience test. The obedience test. And here's what I mean. He looks at them and he says, By this you know that you know Him, that you keep His commandments. If anyone says, I know him, but then doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. And so what he's getting at is that I, what shows someone to be a true convert is the obedience test. If you have a heart for God's word, or if you do not have a heart for God's word and obedience to his word, you show yourself to be a false convert, not a true convert, though you might profess Christ. That's verse, chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. Chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, we saw the love test, right? Then how do you know? Why do you distinguish between true and false converts? It's the love test that's given out here. Do you love the brethren? By this you know that you've passed from death to life, that you love the brethren. True converts have something in them where they love the body of Christ. But, but false converts have zero interest in the body of Christ. They don't care. They don't love the body of Christ. And so what we land on today is the doctrinal test. Especially verse 22 and 23. We land on the doctrinal test. So did you know that? That there are certain doctrines that you must adhere to. In fact, you must continue to adhere to certain doctrines for you to be saved. For you to be shown as a true convert. So you see, this is a, this is a big deal because sound doctrine here is a matter of life and death. Sound doctrine here is a matter of eternal life or eternal condemnation is what we're talking about in this passage right here. So right off the bat, here's what I want to say. I want to say that doctrine, which this word doctrine just means the teaching, the teaching of the Bible, is very, very important. Doctrine, I want you to hear that. Doctrine is very, very important. Do you realize how much of your New Testament is devoted to this idea of true and false doctrine? When, when uh, me and Starkey went to India, remember that? Me and Starkey went to India together. And our, our uh, assignment when we went to India was that we would teach New Testament survey, which means we're just walking, we're taking these pastors and walking through book after book after book of the New Testament giving overviews. And I was reminded and amazed again of how much of God's Word, how much of our New Testament are devoted to this idea of protecting against false doctrine and walking and believing in sound doctrine. So much of it. Think about it. Even in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your New Testament, in the Gospels you see warnings about false Christ and false prophets that will deceive many. 
Not to mention the whole point of those books being written. Listen, listen to, to John 20 verse 31 where he says, These things, I, I, I'm writing these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in His name. These things are written, this is sound doctrine about Christ Jesus written, that you might believe the right thing about Him. Because you know salvation in a vague Jesus sounds, saves nobody. You know that, right? It's, it's, it's faith in the Jesus of the Gospels. Faith in the Jesus of this book. And so he says, I write these things that you might believe he's the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life in his name. You could go on down the line. You can look in the book of Acts. Keep going in our New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 5. I believe it's verse 28. Where, where the, the disciples of Jesus get a charge against them. These people are angry and they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You see this importance of doctrine walking through the New Testament. Or the book of Romans, right? I mean, it's packed full. People spend their whole lives digging into the depths of the doctrine, the glorious doctrine that's found there in the book of Romans. And even at the end of a book, the book of Romans, we see warnings against false teachers and false doctrines saying that they, you know, they, they don't come out with horns and stuff, right? They, they, they have flattering speech and smooth speech and they seem like they're nice and they're kind and they're saying the right things. But he says, beware of them. What are they teaching? What do they say about Christ? And so they warn in that book about false doctrine. You could go on down the line. First and second Corinthians. There are people that get exposed in those letters that say there is no resurrection of the dead. And so he comes against it in 1 Corinthians. Sound doctrine is all over these books. You can see it in 1 Timothy. Literally the reason. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 through 5. The reason that Paul writes to Timothy is he says, I'm, I told you to stay in Ephesus that you might command some to preach no other doctrine. And so literally the reason he told Timothy to stay there was to come against false doctrine coming up in the midst of that church there, the church at Ephesus. Or you could go to 2 Timothy. Same thing. 2 Timothy is Paul's dying letter. Think about it. His dying letter. And what is he writing? What is he saying to Timothy again and again and again? He's saying there's deceivers. There's deceivers everywhere. They're deceiving and being deceived. But you must preach sound doctrine. There's a time coming when they won't listen to sound doctrine. But because of their itching ears, they'll be led astray. Do you see this emphasis throughout the New Testament? It's everywhere. Galatians chapter 1, he says that, right? He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And so he's rebuking this moving away from sound doctrine. So I want you to see over and over again, all throughout the New Testament, how important this is. And yet, so much of our church culture today has moved away from this importance of sound doctrine. You understand that? You feel a warning about that? That our culture has moved away. So much of our church culture has moved away from this emphasis on sound doctrine. You got so many people that they would rather give you, you know, uh, cool conversations or be hip and relevant rather than stand on the authority, time tested authority of God's word. They'd rather give you these cool conversations and be hip, right? That's what they want to do rather than standing on the truth. So much of our culture has moved away from this and you should feel warned by that. You should feel warned by that reality. And I would say that so much of it is rooted in pride. There's a mindset in the church culture today that says, hey, you know, I'm educated, right? 
I'm educated in, in, in the things of theology and doctrine. I'm educated, so I have to. I can't give that to these poor people that can't understand those things, right? And it's just arrogance, and it's just pride, as if God did not put His Holy Spirit in all believers, so that you can understand God's word and you can glory in Christ Jesus over sound doctrine. I want you to see that it's a deception, it's a flaw in our culture. Do not fall to it. Don't fall in, don't fall in line with these people that say, you know, sound doctrine really doesn't matter that much anyways. Doctrine doesn't really matter at all, actually. Don't fall in that because if you do, you'll be just like these people that we're reading about here who have fallen astray. They've gone astray. They've fallen to the wayside and they fell in such a way that it's leading them to hell forever. So I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Sound doctrine is very important. Okay, so I said it's, this is a doctrinal test. You must believe certain things to be a true convert. That's just, that's just reality, okay? Also, this is a warning. Just like I'm, you already hear me giving the warning here. It's hard for me to talk about it without giving this warning. But this is meant to be a warning. Look, look at verse 18. Look at it. He says, little children. Little children. So he references those believers, those Christians. He says, little children. And look over at verse 26. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Look, I want you to feel God's, uh, excuse me, I want you to feel John's heart in this. I want you to try to feel his heart. Just try it. Try to feel his heart in this as he's writing these people. And when we see him say little children, we know he's talking to the believers. And we also feel the affections that are there like a father to a son. And he's saying little children. I'm writing these things concerning those that are trying to deceive you. And you get this picture. Just try, try to picture it for yourself. Of a father with his child. Or a father with his son. And you imagine seeing your son or your children whom you've taught and you poured into. And next thing you know, you've got some antichrist whispering in their ear false things that lead them to hell forever. You imagine the way you burn on the inside. The anger that you feel toward that false teaching and the way you and the, and, and the way you write with affections and yet strong warning. My little children, my little children, I'm writing about those who are trying to deceive you. See, he's warning them. He's giving them a warning here. So I want you to think about this for yourself. Can you be led astray into damning heresy? And I mean you personally, each person here. Or what about your brothers and sisters? I'm so thankful to talk to give these warnings. To my brothers and sisters in Christ that I love. I don't know if I told you that no. I love the people of this church. And this isn't like, I'm not, I don't see faces, a lot of faces I don't know. I see a ton of people that I know well and that I love. And you imagine your brothers and sisters. Is it possible for our brothers and sisters to be led astray into damning heresy? Is it? And I hope you say, absolutely it is possible. And this thought, this, just that simple thought should comp compel you to wage war against false doctrine in our midst and to go after sound doctrine. Just the thought that your brothers and sisters around you would go astray into damning heresy. I think there should be a cry in the heart of every single believer that says, God, don't let me die heretic. God, don't let my brothers and sisters die as heretics. Don't let it happen, Lord. Hold us and keep us in the truth. If there's anybody here that doesn't feel that warning, I want you to feel it, okay? So let me highlight a few things that I think will help you feel the warning 
of you yourself and your brothers and sisters around you, and even think of your children and your grandchildren that go away from sound doctrine, which is heresy that leads them to hell. Let's, let me highlight three things. One is this, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but verse 19, listen to this. They went out from us. Do you realize what this means? They, John says, went out from us. Do you know what this means? This means that the Antichrist, these Antichrists, the spirit of the Antichrist that he is warning about, the false doctrine that he's warning about, the heresy that he's warning about came out of where? It came out of a healthy church that has connections to the Apostle John. Does that set a warning in your soul? That there are people that blaspheme the name of Christ and go to hell and these people came out from under the teaching of the Apostle John. Or let me give you another one like that. I want you to feel warned by this. You ought to be. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. This is Paul writing. And in Galatians 1 6 he says. I marvel. I marvel that you are turning away so soon. From him who called you in the grace of Christ. To a different gospel which is not another. Who's he writing to? He's talking to the churches that are in Galatia. This is the first missionary journey that Paul went on. The first churches that he planted. The elders that he appointed. And yet he's writing to him and says, I can't believe you turned away from the gospel. I can't believe you're doing this. Are you better than they? Are you able to go astray? Is, is it possible that you could go astray in this way? I want you to feel that sort of warning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed unless he fall. So to everybody in the room, let him who thinks he stands take heed, take heed, take heed, unless you fall. And all of this should make you feel warned. You imagine yourself years from now, years from this moment, walking in, believing in, living in, damning heresy. You imagine your brothers and sisters and the way that would cause you to weep. You imagine your children and your grandchildren. And all of this ought to stir your soul and say, I want to be a warrior for sound doctrine in the midst of this church. I want to go after coming against doctrinal deception in this church and in your life. So let's start looking at this verse by verse, okay? Verse 18 through 19. Let me read it again. Everybody with me here? Verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the, la the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And so here's what we see right here. What you're getting put before you in these two verses is that this is a world full of Antichrists. This is a world full of deception, full of opposition to Jesus the Savior. It's a world absolutely full of it. Okay, right here when it says the last hour. So he tells them, he's talking about a time frame. It is the last hour. Now when he says it's the last, he says it twice. It's the last hour, the beginning of verse 18. It's the last hour at the end of verse 18. When he says that, he's not giving them a time period, right? He's not saying, hey, we've got an hour left and then it's over. Obviously he doesn't mean that. He's describing a kind of time period 
Which has been described. If you study this throughout the Bible, you find out that we have been in the last hour. We've been in the last days since the time that Christ Jesus came and ascended on high after He died for our sins. We've been in the last days. There's one appointment left when Christ Jesus returns. And so what he's talking about, what he's drawing their attention into, is not a chronological time period, but he's drawing their attention to a kind of time in which they live. And so this is a time period in which Christ has already finished the work of redemption. Think about that. He's finished the work of redemption. This is a time period in which He is seated and thrown as King right now as we speak, waiting till His enemies are made His footstool. Patiently waiting as lost people are ripped out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into light. We sit in that time period where the gospel is going forward to all nations. And according to verse 18 right here, now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. The last hour is marked by what? Men, many antichrists have come. This means deception is everywhere. The last days, right in the midst of Christ reigning, the gospel moving forward to all nations. Listen to me. Many antichrists, the spirit of the antichrist has gone out into this world and deception is rampant. And you need to know that. You need to feel that. In your bones. Let me define real quick this word antichrist. So John is the only one that uses the word antichrist. It's uh, literally against, obviously it's against Christ. It's to be opposed to Christ. It could be in the way of false Christ or it could be direct opposition. But it is opposition to Christ. And so he uses the word antichrist right here. Now the way it says in verse 18 is you've got, you've got as you have heard... The Antichrist is coming, okay, as you've heard. And then he says, but I'm telling you, there are many Antichrists in this world now. And so you have this kind of comparison here. So what's he talking about when he says, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. What he's talking about is a very, obviously a well-known figure, a well-known idea throughout the scripture that there's a figure coming called the Antichrist. You can read about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, where he is called the man of sin. He is called the son of perdition. He is called the lawless one, which, by the way, is going to be absolutely obliterated just by Jesus showing up and breathing. He's going to be obliterated. Wiped off the map. This is the Antichrist. But what he's drawing your attention to here is, I know that you know about that, but listen, I'm telling you, many Antichrists have already come. Many Antichrists are in the world right now, is what he says. If you look at chapter 4, look at chapter 4, verse uh, 1 through 3 with me. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because, listen to this. Do you feel warm by this at all? Listen. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Look down at the second half of verse 3. It says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Do you feel warm by this? The deceptions. That are in our world according to these scriptures. So here, here's the idea. We live in a time where Christ reigns no doubt. And the gospel is moving, moving forward no doubt. And every nation, tribe and tongue. That is the last time. The time period in which you live. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. And they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But you also need to know this. That there are false teachers. False 
Christ everywhere. Deceiving. Deceiving and being deceived. They're energized by demonic forces in numbers that we cannot fathom. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities, powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is, this is false teaching and deception absolutely energized by demonic forces that we cannot count. I want you to feel warned by this. This is the world in which you live now. You realize that? You live in the last hour. You live in the last time. You live in the last days. This is the world in which you live. And think about this. What we have in verse 19, when you get to verse 19, is that these people were a part of the visible church. Now he says they were never a part of the true, inward, invisible church. God knows those who are His. He knows those who are truly His. But they were part of the visible church and they came out from that. This should be a warning to us. Do you realize this? That people connected to a church that's connected to the Apostle John have come out and they've walked in this heresy. Now in verse 19, right here in verse 19, John is assuring them, he's assuring them that, that, that because of the truth of the perseverance of the saints, because of that truth, that these people that left were never truly of God anyways. He's, he's assuring them of that. But what I want you to feel is that warning that these people were a part of the group and they left. They became heretics. And many of them maybe died as heretics. And so here's what you need to see. It's real deception. You believe that? When we talk about false teachers, false doctrine, deception, do you know that's real? Like, that's not a joke. Like, Oh, I'll never be deceived. Yes, yes, you should feel the warning. And you should be taking action in some sort of way that would keep you from being deceived, which he's going to line out in this passage of Scripture. But you must do something. You can be deceived. Let me describe one more time. So verse 18 right here. Many antichrists have come by which we know that it's the last... How do we know it's the last hour? Many antichrists have come. So the last hour marked by that, right? So think about it. The time in which you live is marked by intense warfare. And the idea is almost like the enemies of God are rallying for one last stand against Christ in opposition to Christ. And what are you going to do right in the midst of that? How do you wage war right in the midst of that? Don't let calendars and clocks lull you to sleep, but rather listen to this verse from God's Word. Listen, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this. Do this knowing the time. Know the time. That, the, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Awake out of sleep, he says. You know what time you live in. And that's what I want us to feel here this morning. I want us to feel the weight of that, okay? Now, here's something you might think about. The time in which we live is full of deceitfulness within and deceitfulness without, right? 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's inside of you and outside of you. is false teachers, false prophets, deceptions everywhere. And there should be something in you that goes, Man, how can a Christian survive in an environment like this? How can we not be deceived? And what we're going to find out in the following verses is that God Almighty has planted something in His church and in His people within and without. The Spirit of God within and the truth of God's Word without. And we'll get there in just a moment. Look at the next verse, verse 20 and 21. I want you to hear it. This is a, right in the midst of a world full of Antichrist. Right in the midst of that, verse 20 and 21, it's going to be a church full of the anointed ones. Listen to it. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things, or you have all knowledge. Verse 21, I'm not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So here we see John, he, he, he attributes two things to Christians right here. He says, you have the anointing, and you have the truth, the knowledge. You have those two things. You have the anointing, and you have the truth. Let's talk about what those mean. The anointing is talking about the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are one who's been converted. You're a new creation in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Called the anointing right here. Now let me prove that. I don't want you to just take my word there. I want to prove that to you, okay? If you look at verse 20, he says, you have an anointing what? From the Holy One. So whatever this anointing is, is something you get from the Holy One. Look down at verse 27. The anointing which you receive from Him. So whatever this anointing is, it's something you get from the Holy One. It's something you receive from Him. Well, Christians in the room, what is it that you have received from God? You say a lot of things, right? I've received eternal life in Christ Jesus because He died for me at the cross. I've received forgiveness of my sins. I've received a great high priest who intercedes for me continually. I've received righteousness. I'm justified in His sight. I have received the Holy Spirit. So when it says anointing here, which you've received from Him, which thing that we receive from Him is He talking about? Well, look a little further in verse 27. The anointing which you receive from Him, listen, it abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. So what we're talking about here is you have received something from God. If you're a Christian, you've received something from God. You've received something that abides in you and that teaches you all things. What could that be talking about? And that's talking about the Holy Spirit of God that indwells you. Listen, John chapter 14, you go read verse 16 and 17. Jesus, John 14, verse 17. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit, which is to come. And he says he is with you, but he will be in you. Do you get that? The Spirit of God indwelling believers. So he, he abides in you. And then John chapter 14, verse 26, he says the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you concerning all things. Now, what did that sound like? That sounded like John, 1 John 2, 27, right? He, the, the one you're going to receive from Him that's going to teach you concerning all things. So what we're talking about, the anointing here, is the Spirit of God that abides in you and will teach you concerning all things. 
Now, if you need a little more on that, I'll give you some homework. You can go back and look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18, which connects the word Holy Spirit and anointing. He says, that the Spirit of God is upon me, for He has anointed me. You can look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and you could go on and on. But, but, but without that, here's what I want to say. He just said, you have an anointing from the Holy One, which I'm saying, and I believe scripturally it means the Spirit of God indwells you. Do you believe that? Right in the midst, right in the midst of a world full of antichrist and deception, do you believe, Christian, that the Spirit of God indwells you? Does that encourage you? What does that do to you? How does that affect you? How ought that to affect you? The Spirit of God in us. So this is the first thing that he says Christians have. You have an anointing. The second thing he says that they have, still in verse 20 here, and you have all knowledge or you know all things. Or you look in verse 21, he calls it the truth. I'm not reading you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So he's talking about not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, but you have the knowledge. You have the truth. Now, what's he talking about there? He's not talking about something he's telling them to attain. He's not saying, I want you to obtain some knowledge. He's saying, this is something you already possess. Just like you have the anointing in you, in the same way, you have the truth. You have the knowledge. You know, Jude chapter 1 verse 3, it speaks about, listen, listen to this phrase, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. See, there was something that one time, and for all saints of all time, one time was delivered to the saints. And we're talking about the apostles' doctrine that was delivered to the saints. This is Acts chapter 2. What did the first church devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to, to, to four things. And one of those things was the apostles' doctrine. Well, how do we do it? How do we sit at the feet of the apostles? How do we do it? We take the written word that's recorded for us. It's the truth. It's the word of God. It's the apostles' doctrine right here in God's word. If you look at verse 24, look at verse 24. He's going to say it a little different. He says, therefore, let that abide in you. Listen, which you heard from the beginning. Notice the emphasis. He's going to say it again. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you. He said, listen guys, listen. Not only do you have the anointing, but you have the truth. And here's what I mean. That thing which you heard from the beginning, I'm not pushing you to something new. I'm saying the apostles' doctrine. That doctrine laid out that you heard from the beginning. Imagine John saying this to them. Imagine. I'm pointing you back to that which you heard from the beginning, which we have recorded for us, the Apostles' Doctrine in the Scriptures. So what has been given to Christians according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 21? We have the anointing. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Do you believe that? And you have the truth. You have the truth of God's Word. You have the Apostles' Doctrine of God's Word in the scripture. So think about it. In the midst of a world full of antichrist, a world full of deception, deception is within. The heart's deceitful above all things. The deception is without. This is the world in which you live. Right in the midst of that, God has put something within and without of every Christian. And what is that? He's giving you the anointing, the Spirit of God indwelling, and He's giving you the truth. The truth of God's Word. Let me ask you a question. 
So why right here, and I think this is telling, if you, if you can answer this question, it tells you a few things about this passage. Why right here does he call the Spirit of God indwelling believers? Why does he say, why does he call him the anointing? Why does he say the anointing? Why not just say the Holy Spirit? Why say the anointing in verse 20 and in verse 27? And here's what it seems like was going on. In this time, these, these heretics, these antichrists, these false teachers that are deceptively, it's not obvious, but deceptively drawing people away. It seems that these are, these are people that were claiming some kind of special anointing, some kind of special revelation, some kind of special insight that they have into the truth. And so follow me because I've got this special Anointing, right? And John looks at them and he says, You have the anointing and you have the truth. Don't let these people lead you astray. And listen to me, this is the same thing that happens today. False teachers all over the place that claim some sort of special anointing, some sort of special revelation, some, some sort of special insight that they have. And you're supposed to just follow them in that. This still happens today, it's all over the place. It's in really obvious areas, right? Like the, like the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses, like them, right? They have, they have, they have their people that are anointed and can say certain things. And so we don't need the Scriptures. We need to hear and believe that, right? Or Mormons do the same thing. They have Joseph Smith, who apparently has some sort of revelation, some sort of insight that, that told him something. And, and John's saying, you have the anointing. You have to believe this stuff that you can't pick up. Like there's some special class. You get that? And even less, it gets more. I mean, you see the same thing in, in the prosperity gospel realm, in the charismania realm. You see it all over the place. Of these people have the anointing. These people have the truth. They got a special insight. They say it a certain way. And I'm telling you, just like John's telling you, you have the anointing and you have the truth. Don't be deceived by them. Don't be led astray. And this is important for you to think this way because listen. If you're looking for false teachers, because the Bible's describing this is everywhere, right? Can you see it? Can you spot it? Can you personally spot false teaching? Can you, can you see it? Are your eyes open to it? Because here's the thing. If you're looking for niceness or meanness, you're not going to find it there. See, the reason why so often the reason why false teachers gain a following is because they are nice guys. They are good guys. They, you, know, they, they, you know, maybe even showing some humility. Okay, they don't gain a following by being jerks. You understand that? So if that's what you're looking for, it's not work. It's not working. What do you need to look for? What do they affirm about the Word of God? What do they say about Jesus? What do they affirm about the Scriptures? What's their doctrine? What's their doctrine? Do they have sound doctrine or do they have false doctrine? Are you prepared? To spot false teachers that way. And here's what I want to do. Before we dig in. Because this passage, passage is going to encourage us. It's kind of like we're already moving a little bit. Uh, it's going to encourage us into how do we fight against this. How do we come up against doctrinal deception. Okay. But before we go there. Let's talk about the specific heresy that John is condemning right here. And that's found in verse 22 and 23. He gives you the specific heresy that he's coming against. Let me read verse 22 and 23 again. Listen. Who is a liar. But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. There's the heresy right there in broad terms. Denial of Jesus being Christ. 
Oh, and this is detrimental because look at what happened. Look at what he says about them. Those who do that, listen. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. This is big. You walk in this 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 uh, false doctrine, then you are Antichrist. And not only you're Antichrist, but you deny the Father and the Son. You say, well, I didn't deny the Father. What are you talking about? I didn't deny the Father. Look at verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There's a big weight on what you think about Jesus here. What do you believe about Christ? It has massive effect, okay? And so here's what I want you to see. Their false doctrine, the specific heresy here, is that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now, just being honest, it, it probably doesn't seem this out front, right? This obvious. It's not people standing up going, hey, I've decided to say Jesus is not the Christ. Okay? It's not that obvious in this situation. In fact, you can look back into history and you can see things where people were actually saying really off the wall things like, yeah, Jesus is here. And then the Christ at his baptism, you know, the Christ at his baptism came into Jesus. And then before he died on the cross, the Christ left. And so they're dividing the Christ from Jesus. And you see the twisted stuff that goes on. Or even if you read, look over at chapter 4 again. Verse 2. When he's warning against the same thing, look, look at what he says in verse 2. He gives you more specifics. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now that statement is packed. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You believe that or not? You know? It's the false, these false, these false uh, teachers, they didn't believe that, they didn't teach that. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And here's what this means. It's, it's packed full of meaning here. Jesus Christ has come. You see, before you were born, you did not exist. Before you were conceived in the womb, you did not exist. But Jesus, before He came in the womb, it says He came. Jesus has come. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity that has come and taken on flesh. And it says just that. He has taken on flesh. He has come in the flesh. Fully God. Fully man. Now somewhere... Somewhere in the specific heresy mentioned that John is condemning is, is, is an attack on those sort of things. Somewhere in the midst of that. And so here's what I want to do. With, with this specific heresy in mind, this, this Jesus is not the Christ and, and saying it in a, in a twisted sort of way, in a deceptive sort of way. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a warning and I want to give you a charge based off of that truth. A warning and a charge. So here's the warning. Notice that this false teaching is a direct attack on the person of Christ. An attack on the person of Jesus Christ is the Mount Everest of false doctrine. This is what they're all going after. So you need to know this and be warned that the Mount Everest of false doctrine is an attack on, attack on the person of Jesus. Let that settle in your soul. And you need to know that as you live in a world full of Antichrist. You need to know that. And this is the reason why the most important question is who is Christ? It's what Jesus asked, right? Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? It's the most important question. What do you say of Christ? This is the Mount Everest of false teaching. So if you know that, that the, that the Antichrist in our world, their interest is to attack and deceive and twist the person of Jesus. You need to know that. 
That when the Jehovah's Witness come to your door, don't talk to them about this kingdom coming. Ask them who is Christ. Every time, this is the way it goes down. And if you look down the line, the, the Mormons that, that, that believe He's just a God. And you could go on and on and on. There's just little twist on who is Christ. And even, see, those are obvious ones, right? Those are obvious. Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, those are obvious ones. But what about the less obvious thing? What is the thing that just gets attacked again and again and again in, in, the, in the mind of Christians that, sent, that sit in what seem like good churches? What's happening over and over again? There's a belittling of Christ. There's attack on the person of Christ. When you think Christ Jesus is small and your affections, he feels small, you, you, can, you better bet that the Antichrist is deceiving you. You need to come against this. So this, that's the warning, okay? That, that prepares you for battle. Now here's the charge. If that's true, if that's true, I want to charge every brother and sister here to think deeply on the person of Christ. Study and meditate deeply. Deeply on the person of Christ. Make it a lifelong pursuit to answer that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Christ? Because you're going to need a lifetime and you need eternity forevermore. But spend your life on that. Who is He? I want you to know a lot of things from God's Word. No doubt. But don't just meddle around in little things. Who is Christ? Who is this Jesus? And you think deeply and study deeply about Him. How, how deeply have you thought about Him? How deeply have you studied Jesus? Who He is? What He's done and what He's like and what it is to follow Him. How deeply have you studied that? I believe ignorance of Christ. This is, I think, from J.I. Packer. He said he believed ignorance of Christ is at the very root of the weakness in the church today. Ignorance of Christ. So let's think about that for just a minute. You know, the, the two doctrines that, that as we read 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, and verse 23, where it says, it says, if you have the Son, you have the Father. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. See, that's what he's saying in verse 23. And in chapter 4, we see, we see that, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It means He's taken flesh. When we see these, these things, listen, listen to me. Even if we don't know exactly what the exact way it was being twisted is, here's what we know. If, oh, that those people would have dwelt on and gloried in and worshipped God in the doctrine of the Trinity, in the doctrine of the Incarnation, the hypostatic union. Man, if they had just dwelt on that and gloried in those things, they'd be a lot less likely to make this fatal error. So when's the last time you did that? Have you ever? Study deeply on the Trinity. Study deeply on the hypostatic union. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just dove into that? Why not? If you say no, why not? Is that just for theologians? Is that just for the classroom? Is that what it's meant for so you can get an A on a test? Or is it meant for you with the anointing in you that's going to teach you and illuminate the Word of God for you to begin to worship God for His triune nature? Just think about it. You begin to study God's Word and you're saying, Who are you, God? I believe your Word reveals you. Who are you, God? And you read Deuteronomy 6, it says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one God. One God. You read Isaiah, you make it to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 45, verse 5. And he says, There is one God. There is no God besides me. There's one God. And you read that and you say, yes, one God. Creator of mountains, creator of the clouds, creator of the universe, creator of your heartbeat, everything. And you keep reading and Jesus comes to the earth and He calls this God, Father, Father, 
Father. And you know Him as this is Father. The Father is God. And you keep reading and Jesus says things like, Before Abraham was, I am. And He calls Himself the Son. And you say, wait a minute, so the Father is God, but then Jesus who called Him Father just said that He is God. In fact, they tried to stone Him for it. Because they said, they said you being a man, make yourself God. That's what they charged Jesus for. So here He is. The, the Father is God. The Son is God. And you just keep studying the Bible and you see in Acts chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit is God. They said, they said to Ananias and Sapphira, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And He says, you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. So you got, your, your, your brain is racked right now. You're thinking the Father is God. And the Son is God. And the Spirit is God. And there's not three gods. There's one God. One God in three persons. And you're just going, He is incomprehensible. I can't understand this. This is amazing. When's the last time you did that? You think, okay, well maybe the Father became the Son and the Son became the Spirit, right? No, because the Father is not the Son. Because the Son talks to the Father. Well, and, and, and the Son is not the Spirit because the Spirit exalts the Son. So they're not one of, they're three persons. And you can't fathom it because you are one essence and one person. But He is God, the God, the only one true God in three persons. This is amazing. And then you start thinking about the incarnation. People call it the hypostatic union where the second person of the Trinity... The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, creator of the heavens and the earth, He takes on flesh. He, he becomes man. You got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And it doesn't make sense to you unless you understand the Trinity. That the Son, the Word, the Son of God, He is God and yet He's with God at the same time. Because here's this trying God that I cannot comprehend. And then verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now here's the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, second person of the Trinity, and He's fully God and He's fully man at the same time. The one who never sleeps or slumbers is sleeping on a boat. It's crazy. It's amazing. And you're getting blown away and you're worshiping God. And then you start to think, why? Why would the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, take on flesh? Why would the hypostatic union even happen? And you begin to think about that and you realize, look, you deserve wrath from the triune God. You have rebelled against the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You deserve His holy wrath. I deserve His holy wrath. Torment day and night forever and ever in the lake of fire. But God wants to, He in love, He wants to help us. In love, He wants to, he wants to die for us. But guess what? God can't die. And so the Son of God takes on flesh. He takes on flesh. And He takes on a body. He takes on human nature onto His divine nature. Fully God, fully man. And He dies on a cross for our sins. He is crucified in our place. The wrath of God that's supposed to fall on me and you falls down on Him instead. Risen from the grave, He is still... He is still our incarnate God right now. He is still fully man, fully God, reigning on His throne. And one day you'll see Him face to face. Jesus, we need to dive into this. This is just for, I'm just giving you a moment of it here. That you would dive in, if you would dive into those things, how much would that protect you against the Antichrist of this world? That you might know Christ, that you might know Him. Not Sunday school facts, but know Him. 
And I long for that for every person in this church. I have no idea where I'm at on this sheet. <laughs> but I enjoy talking about these things. How serious was their doctrine? I want you to think about it real quick, just, just to finish this in verse 22 and 23. How serious was their doctrine earlier? How serious was it? It's so serious that in verse 22, I want you to just kind of get your eyes on it. This is how serious it is. It's so serious that after he says they deny Jesus as the Christ, he says, Answer Christ. This is serious. It, before that, he calls them liar. He does not soft mouth, soft mouth false teaching, and neither should we. Liar. Answer Christ. He says, You deny the Father and you deny the Son. You get it wrong on Jesus, you wage war on every person of the Godhead. It's a big deal. It's a big deal here, okay? And so I think this should be a warning to us all. Especially as we, re we remember this. That that kind of blasphemy of Christ came out of where? Apostle John's early church. Please feel warned. Please feel warned by this. Okay, so here's the question now. How do we protect ourselves from dying a heretic? How do we protect ourselves from doctrinal errors like we see here that lead people astray? How do we protect ourselves from these things? And what we, we're going to see the answer to that in verse 24 through 27 to finish it off. Look at verse 24. This is the first imperative. This is the first command. So far we've just said, this is the world full of Antichrist. This is the church full of anointed ones. And now for the first time we're going to get a charge, a command. Listen. Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So there's the first charge. This is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it is taught you, you... Abide in Him. Okay, so here's the idea. It's as if John, remember in verse 20 and 21, he told them, Christians, you have the anointing, the Spirit of God within you. And you have the truth. You have the apostles' doctrine. We have it in the Scriptures. You have the truth of God's Word and you have the anointing. And it's like right here in this section, he says, pull out the weapons. Unholster the guns. Get it out. You have the anointing within you and you have the truth. Now give yourself to that truth and trust the Holy Spirit to teach you. This is what he says. Essentially what he says in this section. Okay, When he says, when he tells them, verse 24, abide in what you heard from the beginning. And he repeats it. What you heard from the beginning. Abide in it. Live in it. Dwell in what you heard from the beginning. Dwell in the apostles' doctrine. It's just like Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Christians, let the word of Christ not be your cute little devotion. Let it dwell in you abundantly. Is what he's calling you to here. You live in a world full of antichrist. Deceptions are within. Deceptions are without. If you move away from sound doctrine, you prove yourself to be a false convert and you go to hell. 
But what he says here, he says, but if you continue in the sound doctrine of God's word, if you continue and you show yourself to be a true convert, and what he says right here in verse 24, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. You catch that? Give yourself to the apostles' doctrine. Give yourself to the word of God. And you live with God in verse 25. And eternal life, the life of God in the soul of man, abides, it abides in you. Isn't that beautiful? As you turn the corner and you go after, I'm going to abide in God's word. This is the result he talks about. This is the, 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 what that proves about you. That you abide in the Son. You abide with the Father. And eternal life is in you. So here's what we got to do. We got to be people of God's word, right? Everybody amen that? We need to be people of the word of God. So you need to ask yourself those questions. So, so Christian in the room. Christian brother and sister, what are you doing with God's Word? What are you doing with sound doctrine? Do you love to eat sound doctrine? Are you in an intimate relationship with the Scriptures right now as we speak? Are you in the relationship with the Word of God? It says here, that which you've heard from the beginning, and which tells me, he's pointing them back to something they heard from the beginning. He said, you don't need something new and fresh and relevant. That's not what I'm trying to give you. I'm giving you the old thing of God's Word. How's your relationship with God's Word? The truth. The Holy Spirit is not in the business of, of giving you some kind of brand new insight or some kind of brand new revelation as of outside of the Scripture. He wants to illuminate God's Word to you. Do you know how important God's Word is? It's so important that the Holy Spirit Himself subjects Himself to the testing of the Word of God. Doesn't He say that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, right? Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. So the Holy Spirit says, test me by the Scriptures. Now that makes a lot of sense when you realize that He wrote those Scriptures. No doubt. But I want you to hear that the Word of God is important. What you're being driven into right here in a world full of Antichrist is pick up sound doctrine of God's Word. Love it. Dwell in it. Abide in it, it says. For you to neglect God's Word means you put yourself in grave danger. For you to neglect God's Word, it means you don't realize the time in which you live. Don't you know about the deceptions? Don't you know about the deceptions within and the deceptions without? Do you underestimate them? And if you neglect God's Word, Christian, you are underestimating them. If you neglect God's Word, you are putting your church in grave danger. Don't you know the danger this church is in? Don't you realize the time in which we live? If you neglect God's Word, you're putting your children and your grandchildren in grave danger. Don't you know they can be led astray? You need sound doctrine of God's Word. Don't neglect it. Abide in that which you heard from the beginning. Listen, listen, listen to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. This is Paul's dying letter. Excuse me, chapter 3. I mean, he, this is like on his deathbed, y'all. On his deathbed. Paul, what's he going to say to Timothy? What's he going to say to him? Look at verse 13. Timothy, feel the desperation here. He's on his deathbed. Listen, evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He said, Timothy, look at the realm in which you live. So what do I do, Paul? You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them and then from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, 
Whichever make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You hear what he did? Look around you. Look at the world you live in. Now continue in that which you possess, the word of God, that which you have learned in the word of God. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. You are unequipped to fight in this world and fight for your church without God's word. This thoroughly equips you for every good work. 4 verse 1. I charge you therefore. To hear the desperation in Paul. I charge you therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will judge the living and the dead. And his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine. He's saying dwell in sound doctrine. Preach sound doctrine. A time's coming. They won't endure it. Rather they have itching ears. I want to charge you to go after God's word. For the sake of your own soul. What are you doing with God's word? Right now. Christian. Right now. What are you doing with it at this time in your life? Feel warm and feel charged to go after it in his word. For the sake of your church. For the sake of your family. For the glory of God. What are you doing with God's word? Self-examination. Now let me go a little step further here. Okay, so imagine, imagine somebody now says, okay, because because <clears throat> verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, okay? These things I've written to you to, concerning those trying to deceive you. Are you with me there? Think about this. So, so imagine John says, I, I want you to abide in that which you heard from the beginning, verse 24. I want you to abide in the apostles' doctrine, abide in the word of God. I want you to do that. And somebody looks at him and they say, they say, but I know John, but I just don't feel like I have the, you know, the anointing like they do or like you do, John. And what does John say? The anointing you receive from him abides in you, verse 27. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but the anointing will teach you concerning all things. You hear that charge? As he lays that on, we have to believe. The promise. We have to be a people that go after God's word. We have to be a people that go after sound doctrine. A people that go after believing this truth. The anointing, the spirit of God in every believer. I, th I think he wants them to be absolutely convinced of this. You understand what I mean by that? I think John wants this church to be absolutely convinced of this idea. This truth of the anointing that indwells them which will teach them. And I want you, I want all of us, I mean, like I said, brothers and sisters here that I love, I want us to be a people in the midst of a world of Antichrist that go into God's word with an aggression, but have fullness of faith that the anointing within you will teach you these things. I want you to be absolutely convinced of that. Just think about these promises. Listen to these promises. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus promises this. He says, the helper... The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. Listen. He will teach you concerning all things. And bring to your remembrance all things which I said to you. What about John 16 verse 13? 
When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Do you apply that to yourself? Listen to the promise, 1 John 2, 27. The anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and He will teach you concerning all things. Be convinced of it. Absolutely convinced of it. It says there you don't need anyone to teach you. Now there's a wrong way and a right way to take that, right? You don't need anyone to teach you, it says in verse 27. What does he mean? Well, here's the wrong way to take it. Well, I don't need teachers. Teachers aren't a part of the body of Christ. I don't need that. Otherwise, I mean, John is writing them to teach them. That throws that out, right? Or Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 11, 12. He gave some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is not saying you don't need anyone to teach you as in teaching and giftedness to teach has no place in the body of Christ. That's not what it's saying. But what is it saying? What does this mean when he says you don't need anyone to teach you but the same anointing, the Spirit of God in you will teach you. It means you can be taught by God. This is, this is given to you. This is a blessing of the cross. You realize that? You couldn't speak to God and He wasn't talking to you because you were His enemy. You were in a hatred relationship with God to, in, in one aspect. You were an enemy of God. You were headed toward hell. And He comes and He dies for you at the cross. He takes your sin onto Himself and He obliterates your sin by taking your punishment. And now He kicks the door wide open not only for you to talk to Him, but to speak to you through His Word. You can be taught by God. When's the last time that hit you? Wow, blessing in Christ. Purchase for me in the gospel that I, this lowly person on this earth, can be taught by the creator of the universe? Now imagine that door getting kicked open and you don't walk through it. What? Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. It's been referred to over and over again in 1 John because 1 John seems to keep alluding to it. And it's the new covenant there. And he says, this is the covenant that I'll make with you. One of the, the part of that new covenant, he says, no longer shall each of you, one of you teach your brother, or one of you teach your, your friend. No longer shall you teach them saying, no God, but all of you shall know me from the least of you to the greatest of you. You know me. All of you know, you can know God. You can be taught by God. Do you believe that? So are you there? That you have the truth. What do you feel about this book? You've got sound doctrine contained here. The apostles' doctrine. That which we've heard from the beginning. Not a new, fresh, relative thing, but you've got the, the, the foundational, authoritative Word of God. You have it and you've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you to teach you these things. Are you there? Now let me close just by making an observation here, okay? And I hope this observation will warn us. And I hope this observation will challenge us. Encourage us, okay? Here's the observation. Those who are in the most dangerous place, again, imagine the world in which we live, a world full of antichrist, a world full of deception, deceit. And the people that are in the most dangerous position are what kind, what, what groups of people, what kind of people? Those who neglect God's Word and those who highly exalt men as anointed, Right? See that? Does that sound familiar to you? This is the culture in which you live. This is the culture in which you live that takes God's Word and neglects it. It's nothing for a Christian, someone called a Christian in this culture, to neglect God's Word. 
That's the culture you live in. Neglect of God's word. And then we've got celebrity preacher after celebrity pastor after celebrity teacher that we exalt. And they must be able to know things that I can't know. That's the culture in which you live. And you ought to feel that. Listen to me. I, I love good teachers. But it even goes for good teachers. I love John Piper's and John MacArthur's and R.C. Sproul's. I, I love these kind of teaching. Good, healthy teaching. But there's even a way... That you can look to them in this unhealthy way. And here's the problem. They're going to die. And who's next? Who's next? And who's after them? And who do your kids look to? You get what I'm saying? It's the most dangerous place to be. But, but what's the safest place to be? The safest place to be. And this is where I want us to go. I want us to pray about this. I want us to move in this direction. That we would be a people growing Growing, growing in our devotion to the Word of God. Our devotion to the Scriptures. This is massively important. So you neglect the Word of God, you put yourself in grave danger. But you, you give yourself, abide in that which you heard from the beginning. Those people are in a safe place. Those people that do that, and those people that believe, they really believe. Yes, they love good teaching, because that's good, and it's healthy, it's biblical. But they believe. That they as a Christian have the anointing. The Holy Spirit indwells them and they can be taught by God. These people are in the safest place. So can we move in that direction? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for the charge, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to take this so personal, God. Make us a people, God, that... that that understand what's going on around us. And God, I praise you. Thank you that, that so often we are numb to the deceptions that are all around and we just feel like everything's fine. And even there, God, you protect us like a small child. Thank you for that, Lord. God, think about that with my children, Lord. Walking in the middle of the street and they don't even know that I sweep them up protect them. They don't even know it, God. And we're the same way. You've been such a protector to us, Lord. Thank you, God. But God, I pray that you would help us to move in the direction you want us to move, that you make us aware. Help us to see with your eyes, God, and make us aware of the deceptions all around us. Make us to feel it, God, deep in our hearts, to feel the warning of it, Lord. And Lord, I pray, make us a people of sound doctrine. Make us a people of your word. God, show, show it to us. Just put on display in this church that you teach all of your children by the anointing that's within them. Put that on display, God, in your church. God, please protect us from going astray. Protect us, God, from dying as heretics. Please help us, Lord. And I praise you, I praise you, I praise you, Lord, that, that you hear this prayer. And that you, that you said if you didn't spare your own son, how would you now so freely in Christ give us all things? And I praise you, Lord, that you so freely give us help. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.